Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome everyone to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We've got some fresh polling numbers on what Ontarians think about Doug Ford's government using the nuclear notwithstanding option to reinstate his preferred election expenses law. Plus, we're moving into stage two reopening tomorrow at midnight, and we'll tell you what all that means. It's Tuesday, June 29th, 2021, so let's get to it. JMM, this is a week that Ontarians have been waiting for for a very, very long time. We have finally hit the benchmarks that will allow us to move into the next stage of reopening the province. So let's go through this. For starters, remind us, what has been achieved? What are the benchmarks that we've now hit? Uh, Basically, the vaccination drive is going uh, incredibly well right now. Uh, We are consistently administering over 200,000 shots on weekdays, and uh, the large majority of those are second doses. Uh, Among people 12 and older, which is all eligible Ontarians, uh, we are looking at something like three quarters of people have had their first shot and a third have had their second. Uh, Over the weekend, the City of Toronto held a mass clinic at the Scotiabank Arena, and they vaccinated over 26,000 people in a single day, uh, which certainly blew Ontario's previous record uh, for a single site out of the water. As impressive as those numbers are, the important point is that the vaccinations are working. Uh, The number of active cases in Ontario is down nearly 95% since the peak of the third wave, uh, and huge areas of the province are regularly reporting uh, no new cases in a day or only one or two new cases. Um, Maybe my favorite data point of the last week, uh, for the first time in the pandemic, Peel Region has fewer active cases per 100,000 than we are seeing province-wide. They're actually uh, less, there's actually less COVID in Peel region uh, than there is uh, on average in the province of Ontario. That is a terrific achievement because I well remember we had reporter Fatima Syed on this program, on this podcast rather, a few weeks ago, talking about how and why Peel had been hit so hard by COVID-19 throughout the pandemic. So that's an amazing turnaround, isn't it? Yeah, you can see why that caught my eye. You know, uh, a lot of this vaccination success is due to uh, not exactly an unanticipated flood of Moderna, but we got more than we were expecting, you know, in in a a relatively short time frame. Uh, And uh, that has come primarily from the U.S. in the last few weeks uh, after uh, really months of Moderna uh, deliveries being pretty inconsistent. So, you know, great stuff all around, but you did ask about benchmarks. Uh, And uh, the score there is that Ontario has now blown right through the vaccination targets the government set for moving through the reopening plan, uh, both steps two and three. Well, that's interesting. And perhaps we should put a word in here that it's not just a matter of getting vaccine, but people are open to taking it, which we can't say is the case in every jurisdiction in North America now, can we? Uh, No, uh, certainly in uh, a lot of uh, U.S. states in particular, um, (laughs) they tend to be states that Joe Biden lost. Uh, You see a lot of uh, resistance or hesitancy about the vaccines. Um, Not so much of a problem in Ontario right now. Certainly if, uh, you know, 
the polling I've seen is to be believed, uh, something like 90% of the population is open to getting a shot. Uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're at about 75% of the eligible population. So there's certainly room there to grow. Uh, you know, I think once we get through the, the, the lion's share of people having had their second doses, it's going to become much, much easier for uh, people who have maybe, you know, either they've been holding off or it hasn't been easy enough for them to get a shot. I suspect we'll see a lot more people come out of the woodwork, or I certainly, I hope so. All right, so the targets have been hit. What does that now mean in terms of what is allowed to be open as of 12.01 a.m.? tomorrow, June 30th. Indoor dining is still not permitted. Uh, movie theaters are still closed. Uh, but larger groups of people uh, will be allowed to dine outdoors and larger indoor religious services uh, will be allowed. Uh, malls are allowed to reopen. Uh, overnight summer camps are allowed to operate. That was a, a specific promise the Premier made uh, that they would be able to open for July at the latest. So, you know, definitely an incremental uh, opening. Uh, not quite as much as we will see when the province does uh, eventually get to step three. You ready for a personal question? Uh, sure. <laughs> well, I want to know, with stage two reopening about to happen, what is the first thing you are now going to do in stage two that you couldn't do in stage one? You know, I'm actually not sure. Um, a bunch of my friends and I, uh, we're, I think we're going to try and put together like a backyard barbecue. We haven't seen each other in more than a year. Um, and we're, I think we'll try and put that together in a few weeks when we're all, you know, 14 days out from our second shots. Uh, that might be my first uh, big foray out into the world. Uh, or, you know, it might be something simple. I might just uh, grab a beer on a patio. How about you? Well, if... <laughs> If anybody's seen me on television over the past two months, they will know the answer to that question. Um, JMM, my hair has its own postal code now. <laughs> so I'm getting a haircut, and I've actually got my appointment scheduled for tomorrow afternoon. So uh, goodbye, Afro, and hello to looking normal again. Well, I need to reassure our listeners that, uh, you know, of course, all of our agenda footage lives forever on YouTube. And uh, if anybody ever tries to pull that footage, I'm sure that members of the agenda team will be preserving those in the archive. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, if we're about to enter step two and we've already exceeded the vac vaccination targets for step three, is there a possibility the government could move up the transition to step three where things like indoor dining and movie theaters become possible sooner? I mean, it's theoretically possible, but there there seems to be some disagreement at the top. Uh, on Monday, uh, Premier Doug Ford was making a, an infrastructure announcement in Bracebridge, Ontario. And, uh, you know, he said he wanted to look at ways to, to reopen at least parts of the province more quickly. Um, on the other hand, on Thursday, uh, Thursday of last week, I should say, uh, we had uh, Dr. David Williams give his last press conference as uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health. Uh, and he was still sounding uh, very, very cautious about any kind of acceleration uh, and his uh, successor, Dr. Kieran Moore, uh, was also very cautious. Uh, Dr. Moore specifically warned about the growing spread of the so-called Delta variant. Uh, this is the latest variant of concern uh, for COVID-19 that makes up a majority of the new cases in Ontario now. Um, you know, on the one hand, uh, I, I think the, the argument in favor of uh, reopening faster is that a very large majority of everyone over 50 uh, now have at least one shot, uh, which should mean that future outbreaks are less deadly than certainly the second and third waves were. Uh, but there are still millions of people in Ontario without even a first shot, uh, including, of course, everyone under 12. So, you know, 
competing impulses, uh, points of caution versus reopening the economy, uh, lots of things still being discussed at the provincial government. For sure. Okay, let's now pivot to sharing some fresh polling data about what was a very hot issue in this province a week ago. You'll remember Premier Doug Ford used the notwithstanding clause of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms to set aside a court decision that he disagreed with, namely the election expenses law. Let's go through this. JMM, remind everybody, by overruling the courts and reinstating the law that Ford himself preferred, what are the rules of the road now in the lead-up to the next provincial election, which is June 2022? Uh, the big one is that uh, there's a now a one-year window for third parties in the election that is basically anybody who's not a registered political party or an electoral association. Uh, they have one year to spend $600,000 uh, that, since we are now less than a year away from the election, that means that that limit applies now. Uh, the government did also triple the contribution limit to official parties uh, and uh, expanded the uh, per vote subsidy that political parties receive from taxpayers as well. That's sort of the, the, the big package. Okay, so that's the that's the Doug Ford law that is now back into effect. And now here come the results of a poll done by Maru Public Opinion. That's M-A-R-U, Public Opinion. And we do want to thank our friend John Wright, who's the executive vice president of Maru. He surveyed 1,087 random Ontarians a week ago, and these results are considered accurate within three percentage points 19 times out of 20. We wanted to know, first and foremost, whether the public approved or disapproved of Premier Ford's use of the notwithstanding clause to set aside the court's decision and, frankly, infringe on charter rights of Ontarians as a judge had decided his law had done. The results show that the people are really split almost perfectly down the middle on this. 52% opposed the use of the notwithstanding clause, but 48% found it acceptable. 52-48. JMM, on the assumption that the Premier has these numbers as well, what do you think he thinks about that? I would assume that uh, the Premier and uh, his staff in the Premier's office would be pleased by numbers like this. You don't have a, you know, a 90% opposition for something like this. And in politics, uh, you know, if, if you can't get 90% 90, 90 support for something like this, uh, then the second best outcome is to have your opposition split. And here they seem to be uh, almost perfectly split. Indeed. And, and my, I should say, my evidence for this next statement that I'm about to make is only anecdotal, but I think among, you know, the so-called pundits, academia, the cultural community, the justice world, and so on, I think there was overwhelming opposition to the Premier's use of the notwithstanding clause. First time this province has ever used it, incidentally, since it became part of the Charter back in 1982. So what do the numbers I just said, practically an even split between those approving and those disapproving, what, is it, what does that tell you about the significance of all of that? I think it suggests that uh, average people, for lack of a better word, uh, are a lot less fussed about this than uh, people like you and me, maybe the, the punditocracy. Uh, you know, sometimes a, a split, as I say, is, is as good as a win. And uh, there's just no evidence so far of a, um, a massive wave of protest coming the government's way over this. For the record, I, I'm not sure about you, but I've never taken a public position on whether Doug Ford did the right or wrong thing on this. Have you done a column on it? I wrote at TVO that I didn't think the uh, notwithstanding clause was meant for this type of application. I don't think I've actually stated whether I support like the the 
changes to the campaign law itself. <laughs> right. Okay. And, and what you said is accurate. The notwithstanding clause was not meant for situations like this. It was meant for obvious and egregious uh, overrulings of uh, significant public rights. And obviously the public doesn't think that's happened in this case. So let's dive a little deeper now. Maru Public Opinion asked Ontarians, what did you think about the old law that the previous liberal government had in place where election spending rules kicked in only six months before election day? In other words, if you could spend your budget in six months and not over 12 months, as the Ford law prescribes, meaning a bigger bang for your buck with the rules under the former Premier Kathleen Wynne situation. And here are the answers to that. 66% said they found that acceptable. But when asked, what do you think about the Ford limits of one year instead of six months? Essentially, the same percentage of respondents approved of that as well. <laughs> so we got the same approval for two very different laws that say two very different things. What does this suggest to you? I mean, I think it just suggests that on the details of the issue, uh, Ontarians are just not really tuned into the um, the specifics uh, of uh, 12 months versus six months. Uh, they are content with rules that cover election spending a year out or six months out. Uh, they're, they're not really uh, seized by that difference. Um, you know, I, I would say this sounds, uh, it's certainly based on these results, it sounds to me like more of um, an insider baseball kind of issue. Uh, you know, it, it, something that political operatives, uh, you know, perhaps party leaders care a great deal about, uh, but not something that has grabbed the attention of, of voters in a big way. If we were Americans, they'd say this is an inside-the-beltway issue, meaning the, that highway that goes around Washington, D.C. Uh, okay, let's do one more question here. The f new Ford rules in their entirety, the one-year spending period, the $600,000 of maximum spending, the tripling of the individual contribution limit to more than $3,000 now, what do people think of that package in its entirety? Well, the people say 53% find it acceptable, 47% say unacceptable. Again, a pretty even split. You know, that's interesting. It's it's awfully close to the numbers for the use of the notwithstanding clause itself. And I don't know, that that interests me. You know, in theory, you could imagine people supporting the changes to the election law, but not supporting the use of the notwithstanding clause. Uh, but it looks like people... Um, aren't opting for that kind of nuance. Uh, you know, in both cases, I think it's it's also interesting that uh, the support for this action, whether you're talking about the law or the um, use of the notwithstanding clause, uh, the support for those uh, both seem to be uh, larger than the support for the PC party or the uh, job approval numbers for uh, Premier Doug Ford. Uh, so, I mean, that suggests to me that it isn't just the hardcore Tory base that agrees with these changes right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, we always conclude this podcast with our favorite quotes of the week, and we'll have those for you immediately after we ask you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We do like it when you let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, and it helps us make this program just a little bit better. You can also shoot us an email at onpoliticsattvo.org. And here now, my quote of the week. Last week was Dr. David Williams' last one, as JMM just indicated, as Ontario's Medical Officer of Health. He passed the baton to Dr. Kieran Moore of Kingston, who now has the job. And here is how Dr. Moore thanked his predecessor at their last news conference together. I can't 
can't uh, thank Dr. Williams enough. He's been a, a terrific mentor over the last three weeks. In the first week, uh, you know, it was 12 hours a day at his hip, uh, working in his office with our masks on. Uh, and, and the second week, we were making decisions together. Third week, he was uh, helping me make decisions going forward, anticipating that uh, I will be the one, together with our team, uh, responding uh, to the decisions. So that was the basic transition. Very collaborative, uh, very coordinated, uh, and I, I can't thank him enough uh, for uh, this, the, his mentorship over the years uh, that I've known him, but also over the last three weeks. That's Dr. Kieran Moore of Kingston, who is now Ontario's new Medical Officer of Health. And my quote of the week is actually also from Dr. Moore. Um, he was asked at Thursday's press conference if he could answer a question in French uh, from a, a CBC reporter, uh, and this was his answer. En français, je vais, je vais suivre un cours de français pendant les prochaines semaines et mois, et je pense qu'après cette instruction, j'aurais pu répondre en français mieux que maintenant. Alors, je voudrais parler seulement en anglais aujourd'hui, mais je vais améliorer mon français jour après jour, j'espère. Now, if you never took French, uh, I will translate a bit of that for you. Uh, Dr. Moore was saying that, uh, you know, he's going to take some remedial French lessons before he feels comfortable answering uh, detailed questions in our country's other official language. Now, the province's medical officer of health has to answer, you know, detailed technical questions, so nobody should begrudge him some uh, refresher training. But, Steve, let's be honest, just being able to give the answer he did means that he has better French skills than, I would say, most MPPs right now. (laughs) Or, Or maybe you or me. Uh, that too. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And that was episode 118 of the On Poly podcast, produced by Katie O'Connor, editing this week by J.N. Jaganathan, production support from Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell. JMM, you know it. My dad likes to say this, and let's really lay this on thick, given that this is, I think, going to be our last podcast of the season, right? We'll take a little summer break. We'll come back in a little bit. So for our last time this broadcast season, as Larry Pakin says, John Michael McGrath... Stay positive. Test negative. Stay safe, Steve. <laughs>